I just had a McPlant. A McPlant. Oh, is that a a a vegan or vegetarian sandwich item? It's a vegan Big Mac equivalent, kinda. Aha. Uh-huh. So, uh, so that's me breaking all the taboos. Ooh, look at look at you having something made out of twigs and grass. Right. Impossible meat is what they call it, which. It's fine. Seems pretty possible. Yeah, it's it's actually quite possible. As someone that doesn't like a lot of the inconsistency of meat, you sure did make a thing that's kind of like meat, but without the inconsistency. I appreciate that. It's consistent. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's soft. I can predict the experience I'm gonna have, and honestly, that's like ninety nine percent of what I'm looking for from food. It's soft and meat esque, very much like myself. So we can't. <laughs> complain too much we can complain about the veggie deluxe i don't know why i decided that today was uh, going to be a vegetarian day is, is today just reviewing the, the vegetarian fast food is it <laughs> yeah well satan curiosity you mean satan curiosity <laughs> ah. oh i don't get it that's another one of the fake meat types it's oh satan. yeah Oh. Basically just made out of... It's bread they somehow made taste like meat. Ah, uh, you see, I thought Conrad was going through another of his Anton LaVey phases. <laughs> he just he, he just does that, like, once every couple of years. He just shaves his head. Shaves my head and starts trying to grift, and it never yeah. goes anywhere because I just can't, can't maintain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the thing about running a good grift, consistency. You gotta stick to the message. Very much like an Impossible Burger. <laughs> It is all about that meaty consistency, uh, whether you are eating vegetarian burger options or running a grift cult. Two very different sides to what is ultimately the same coin. I've got a quandary. And for once, this quandary is relevant and video game related. Wow. Yes. Because we've all played the Dead Space remake. We have. Yeah. And... I consider myself something of, I wouldn't say expert, but Dead Space is one of my favourite series ever. In terms of, of horror, it's it's easily my top three. Yeah. Uh, in terms of like new IP from uh, that generation. Absolutely. The 360 era. Dead Space was my favourite one. Yeah. I love it. I've got the fucking ludicrously expensive collector's edition of Dead Space 3 in the big metal box. I love Dead Space so much I didn't play Dead Space 3. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it didn't miss much. (laughs) Yeah, so I did a Jimquisition about the Dead Space remake after it was announced. Mm -hmm. And I, at the time, had sworn off it. I was like, you know what? Fuck this remake. For the reasons I gave. Yeah. Since then, I've gotten back into doing game reviews and professional uh, obligation plus curiosity of what they did to my boy did compel me to uh, give it a go. Try it, play through it. So here's my question as a game reviewer uh, to two um, games media pundits who have reviewed games in the past. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, game criticism uh, um, is... Something very much within your wheelhouse. What do you do if you review a game that is technically fine and not morally repugnant to most people, but is fucking offensive to you? 
by dint of its existence. Mm. That's the quandary, because Dead Space, the remake, is a competent game. Yeah. It's got some issues, mostly physics glitches that are like all up the wazoo mm-hmm. to like a, a comic degree. Some of its new stuff feels like like desperate padding. Uh, and I don't like that Isaac talks, although, you know, hooray, solved the mystery at last. He's a white man. I will say, though, like, the Isaac voice is so dull and uninteresting <laughs> that I I frankly just blanked it out the entire time yeah. Isaac was talking. Like, I was reading it on the screen, I was hearing a voice, and that was the voice that was in my head anyway, because I just sort of expected him to be a boring engineered guy. My problem is, now, Isaac talks in Dead Space 2 and 3, Uh you know, they did introduce it, and again, revealed that at last we found out the, the great mystery that he sounds like every other white male protagonist in a video game. Right. That was worth the build. Uh, But I uniquely like Dead Space versus... Like, I I think Dead Space 2 is very, very fucking good. Yeah. And I I actually like Dead Space 3 better than most. There's a lot about it that is repellent. But, you know, I was fine with him talking in those games. I'm not fine with him talking in this one because Dead Space... Uh, had a very particular atmosphere that 2 and 3 didn't. And part of that was the loneliness of it. I will agree with that, yeah. Yeah. Which was enforced by the lack of speech. I also don't like that they redesigned his face. He now just looks like he talks about his lawn all the time. <laughs> like, he's just, he's a lo- he's super into his lawn. He's got a, like, top-of-the-range sprinkler, and he knows all the specs of it. That's what he looks like, fucking pillock. Anyway, looking at this as a product that would be relevant to most people looking to buy products, I have an idea of sort of a ballpark review score I'd give it. I never know the numbers till I write the review and then sort of judge from that what I really think about it because it gives me a nice sort of bird's eye view of my thoughts. Mm. And I would probably, you know, it's somewhere, probably like seven or above at least. as a product yeah Yeah. but i kind of want to give it a one (laughs) because for electronic arts to executive meddle with the series to the point they drove it into the fucking ground placing undue expectations on it that set it up to be a failure from the outset uh then shut visceral studios down for them to continue to profit by getting someone else to remake the game Genuinely offends me. Mm-hmm. Genuinely offends me. Yeah. It is offensive on that level. Yeah. As much as you will get, you know, people on the internet who do not like the idea of nuanced conversations getting all pissy about it, I think that the conversation you've just spent the last five minutes having is exactly the way to approach a review like this. Like, I'm very much of the opinion of you can go, look, if you're reading this review for, like, what I think the average person is probably going to experience. Like, this is what I I can recognise about it, but if you're here for my personal opinions, I'm really annoyed by certain aspects, and they they do kind of ruin it for me. And, like, I think that is... Those can both be true. You can recognise both aspects of it's a well-made product that I personally can't stand. Yeah. Yeah, well, does the product exist within a vacuum 
completely separate from the conditions of its creation? Yeah. I would argue that the answer is no. Absolutely no. Yeah. Absolutely. I've made that argument many times. Like people, not just with stuff like this, but hype, marketing, things that go into a game, community discussion about a game. Many people will argue, no, it exists in a bubble. You review it as the product it is. Not what it was promised, not what, you know, controversy went into it, not what was was presented as true or untrue. Um, and I don't agree with that. Yeah. I also think that, you know, it's uh, an... What is the audience expectation going to be for a review from Steph? versus an IGN or um, an, um, another you know, major outlet that is going to treat it like it's a thing in a vacuum. I, I frankly believe that the people who come for your criticism specifically yeah. are going to be interested in that larger aspect. To that, that note, I think very specifically, it's the difference between reading a review on an, a review for an outlet, where the review is the website's opinion overall, versus, no, I've come for you as an individual's take, what do you think, yeah. named person I know will be writing it. Well, yeah, I mean, in terms of what the written content's going to be, absolutely, I am going to talk about the well, history certainly. of Dead Space and, and the offensiveness of the product. But I am erring on the side of if giving it a one probably won't help anyone. <laughs> well, no, it, it won't help anyone at all. And I don't think that you have, like, if you give it a one, you know that you know what's going to happen. I do. Right. You do know what's going to happen now. And, and I want to speak to the point that Laura just made about, you know, a review being given by an outlet. Because I would argue that the Jimquisition as an outlet, its voice would absolutely give the game a one. Now, whether or not you are interested in dealing with the repercussions of that, I think in terms of the values of the outlet you have created and how it would review the game, I do think that the one is a completely valid score. Mm -hmm. I will say the thing that like took me a minute to, to click on is the fact that this score will be aggregated with other scores, etc. Yes, it will. Well, like we just said, nothing happens in a bubble. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There is always there is always the the option available of uh, when it comes time to score, you put uh, you know whatever number it is that you're like the the number that like maybe I should be giving it that's like around a seven or wherever. Yeah. Brackets. But like it's totally a one though. Yeah, the technical score and the moral score. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I, I think that there is room for that kind of separation. Yeah, I think I'm erring towards some sort of middle ground on it. Mm -hmm. Some sort of yeah. taking both factors into account in the final assessment. Uh, we'll see how it goes. But I thought that was interesting food for thought. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, look at us having like a, <laughs> a, a, a discussion on criticism in a very deep and meaningful manner in the first 15 minutes of the show. It was actually about video games. What's wrong with us? Well, I will say that since coming back to reviews, it has reignited some interest yeah. in that kind of discussion where mm -hmm. I kind of started to get very bored of it. But it's kind of got that fire back in, you know? Yeah. It can be easy to just sort of dip your toes in a lot of things if you are not doing an end result review. Yeah. And yeah, like, I forgot how much I enjoyed it, you know, both the pr uh, process of writing the review itself and then discussing criticism. 
as as regards to video games uh, or wider media. You know, like like getting to write the Forspoken review, which is now on thejimquisition.com. That felt good. It felt good to sort of sit back and be like, I'm really pleased with how I have expressed my many, 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 many issues with this game. Yeah, compared to last week's sort of hopeful uh, perception of the game, I am fucking exhausted of that one. It really outstayed its welcome. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get into it properly in a minute, but like my my like general tone on it right now is before I picked this game up, I thought it would be one of the many JRPGs where I'm playing through the gameplay to get to the plot, and this is the other way around. I'm getting through the plot to get back to the gameplay, and that has been a weird experience. Right. Yeah, you you mentioned you you were, you were saying about Dead Space. Yes, Dead Space. Yeah, I do wanna I do wanna talk about that the 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 accessibility stuff they've added into that remake because like that is what I've spent a lot of this week spending time with. Well, we're going to talk about Hi-Fi Rush later, and I really want to talk to you about accessibility on that, because that's your beaten wheelhouse, but one thing I learned playing that is I'm the target demo for those accessibility options, so I really want to sort of discuss Mm. my experience with that game. But Dead Space accessibility, sorry. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll get to that accessibility, because like I wanted to sit with that a bit longer, and that's probably going to be like a video I make next week, but uh, yeah, accessibility stuff in Dead Space. Some of it is like the predictable, you've got your difficulty settings, I appreciate that they have at the lowest end a difficulty option that includes health regeneration, for example, is really neat uh, for more people being able to play. There is um, a degree of auto-targeting, which is, you know, uh, aim assist, which is always really appreciated. But the thing I really want to talk about is the content warning stuff in there and how (laughs) they've put it in. I know, I know, but like, you know, this is not the first horror video game to include content warnings for particular... Um, you know, uh, subject material. No. But I really appreciate the way this has done it, and I think it is one of the best examples of a game that released without content warnings, adding them later and doing it right. Yeah. So there is a, a screen that comes up when you first boot up the game that's like, hey, there is content warnings available if you want to turn them on in the settings. Here's a QR code or a URL if you want to just read chapter by chapter what all of them are before you start. I really appreciate the degree of specificity in these content warnings. Um, First of all, Thank you, that opening content warning screen, for actually having some details of the kind of stuff that will show up. Unlike, say, The Missing, which was like, there's potentially horrifying content, and and just told you nothing else, which is like, that helps no one. Yeah. But like, without getting into too much specifics, I want to praise that, like, the content warnings for this game make a separation between, for example, self-inflicted death and suicide. And like, that's a very fine line of, like, specificity, but one that is going to be really important for certain people and what they're comfortable with. That is better than I expected to see out of them. The content warnings are prominently on screen in a hard-to-miss location for a good amount of time, and they're there long enough that you can turn on or off another setting, which is, hey, if that thing visually is going to be a bit much for you, you can pause once you've seen the content warning, turn on a setting to just put a a blur filter over the thing when it happens, and then you can turn that setting off if you're not going to need it for later content warnings. Really good execution. I'm really glad that's there. And I know the internet's had its whole, oh, why are you playing a horror game if you don't want horror stuff? It's like, sometimes a person's fine with 99% of a horror game, but just doesn't want to see a suicide moment because they got personal stuff that, you know, that's a thing for them. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, if you play a horror game, if you're interested in horror... 
horror stories, horror media, it doesn't mean you want all horror. Like, every single conceivable type of it. Yeah. You know, there's scary psychological horror, and then there's, like, the, you know, what they would call torture porn, like, hostile and stuff. People might not want to see, like, the skin being peeled off of someone's arm. Yeah. But they do want to be scared of, like, you know... Uh, being stalked by something in the woods. They're, it's all different. Yeah, you don't you don't want 30 seconds of a piece of media that's going to be a problem for you to prevent you from being able to engage with everything but that 30 seconds. Yeah. And yeah, I want to give this some credit for like, I think it's done a really good job of fitting that stuff in in a way that feels very natural and like is very well onboarded. Yeah. It is a real good sign and like I, I really hope we see this kind of template followed by EA going forward because it is really nice to see. Yeah, I, I really enjoy the, uh, the the growing prevalence of accessibility options. Yeah. Obviously, yes, you get these uh, fucking status quo warriors who <laughs> balk at the idea of something not being gatekept uh, for whatever weird psychological reasons they have for that. I'm, I'm thinking either next week or in the near future doing a Dreamquisition which I've actually been meaning to do for about two years, uh, addressing a lot of the criticisms of the existence of accessibility options. But yeah, I like that they're in all sorts of games. And the content warnings, I didn't turn them on because I'm fine with passive sort of like viewing of, of that kind of material, dark mm -hmm. material. So it literally doesn't bother me. It literally doesn't bother me. That's the thing. It, 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 unless you go, uh, like, when you're booting up the game and that very small settings menu opens up before before the game starts, unless you go down a couple of things and click yes, it doesn't do anything to you. Yeah. Like, I wish these people would sort of just show a, a sliver of media literacy and understanding before they start, like, rambling incoherently about snowflakes. Yeah. And their sheer seeming compulsion... At this point, it's it's a compulsion to keep people who aren't them out of video games is yeah. strange. It's strange and weird and, and alarming. But anyway, uh, Conrad, what did you think of, of Dead Space, the, the remake? There has to be a way to make a horror game that expresses the horror that these people feel at the thought of people being warned about things that might be in video games, right? Something that encapsulates <laughs> that horror. Because I think that's the problem that we're having here. Is we're just not, I'm kidding, don't see things from their perspective. It's fucking dumb. We do a spiritual successor to Dead Space called Safe Space. Safe Space there, oh. <laughs> and, and yeah, it's just the terror of these like fucking gamer boys just sort of <laughs> running from very comfortable locations where people are sat down quiet having a nice cup of tea and a sandwich. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's yeah. I mean, it, we've said it's competent. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's, that's very true. I played it on PC and it is pretty demanding mm. on the PC. I had to yeah. run it on medium settings to stream it. And even there it was dropping frames. I, I think a lot of the places, and I... Didn't I only played a few hours, so like I'm in the I've just finished up the medical wing, I think. So right. I'm still pretty right. early. But the things that I have observed that they have added do polish in a lot of ways. And there's one point, and I don't remember it doing it like this in the first game, where 
you when you return to the ship for the first time and you have that conversation then you realize your ship's going to blow up and you have to get off of it yeah right and it briefly gives you control back and gives you the think the thought that you are going to be back in gameplay and then wrenches it away from you again <laughs> yeah yeah i don't recall it being that way i i thought like it was a, a you know a continual cutscene type arrangement if i recall correctly i think almost all of that scene is new uh, as is a couple of sort of areas where they've expanded it just to give uh, Isaac an excuse to talk. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but if I recall correctly, you don't even go on the ship. Okay. You walk down that walkway. That's right, and then it blows up. I believe that's the case. I really like that sequence. Like, that, all of that little bit. I actually really like it. I mean, I don't give a toss about the dialogue, because as a returning person to the thing, I didn't care that much the first time. For me, it's about, you know... The timing, the pacing, the you know the general design of the game, the environmental stuff, which I do acknowledge, it's not as oppressive an atmosphere as as it was previously. I don't think, but that little bit of expansion there felt really interesting, and I I enjoyed the trick that it played on me. Mm-hmm. But on the whole, I think it's fine. Yeah, did it need to exist? No, certainly not. In fact, I I just played Dead Space last year. Yeah. And found it to be perfectly satisfying. It still holds up great. Yeah. So there's no reason other than profit to do this. I think you'll have a great experience with the original one if you just go back to that. It is shinier. Well, yeah. You know, there are aspects of it that are much more polished, and I don't think, at least thus far, the additions that I have experienced detract from the experience significantly. I mean, you could ignore them or what have you. Yeah. I think my main issue with it is it's just it just adds backtracking mm. the side missions that they've thrown in. It's just go back here and then go back there and then go back here. Uh, the new security lock stuff is mm. a bit tedious, I will admit. Well, I'm not fond of games that um, give you teasers of things you can unlock, especially like someone like me, like who has a fucking memory disorder. Like, right. I ain't going to remember where all this shit is. It just stresses me out. And I think that's typified by one of the side quests, which is collecting all of these rigs Mm. most of which you can't access yet so you've just got this side quest sitting in your menu for 10 hours like hours and hours and i'm like don't do that to me it's just annoying and and so yeah i don't care much for that i don't feel like the additions have particularly added anything except backtracking yeah Backtracking and, and time wasting and frustration uh, as a result of being like, here's something you can do hours from now. Not fun to that at the best of times. Yeah, in terms of additions, I don't think it's adding much of anything based on what I've seen so far. No. But it is shinier. Yeah. And it does play pretty well. Yeah. And they did improve the asteroid bit. Oh, good. It's it's very different. Uh, it's still not great, to be honest, mm. but it is not that (laughs) it is not that horrible horrible sequence so that's okay i got a question about 
I don't know if either of you have been using the flamethrower. A little bit, yeah. At least my game is obsessed with giving me ammo for it. To the point where I remember you could basically solo the game with the plasma cutter in the original, and that was kind of advisable. But I run out of ammo for it so quick because the game is giving me flamer fuel constantly. Huh. As I understand it, and, and now this is how it was in the original Dead Space. It only gives you ammo for weapons you are carrying. Yeah. Right. Uh, now, there might be something wrong with the balance that it's giving you just way more flamer fuel than it should be. It's like, well, I've brought it up. Like, it's yeah. it's that noticeable. It's so consistent. But I always remember it, like, giving you a lot of flamer fuel specifically. And I think it's because it uses it at such a rate that the game thinks that you're going to need it more. Maybe. I don't, I don't remember this. Because I, I always have rocks the flamer because of the little things. The horrible little mm, skinny yeah, yeah. scuttlers and, and body parts and stuff. So I always keep one handy. And, you know, the big, uh, the, the ones that they um, tactfully call the pregnant. Ugh. So I've, I've always kept it. And I don't remember being so imbalanced that I am now using the flamer for everything <laughs> and never coming close to running out of ammo. Yeah. If I switch to another weapon... And I kept the force gun around because uh, ammo for that is specifically rare mm. to try and funnel ammo towards the plasma cutter and the pulse rifle. Wow. But no kidding. I have kept for the past, at least for like the latter half of my 10 hours in it, I have been rocking the flamer almost exclusively at times and not coming close to running out of ammo. And if I switch to another gun just for a treat for a bit i'm very quickly run out mm -hmm. and it's it's very strange and i don't know if it's just a quirk of my run or if that is the game's balance i have not been having that experience and i am real curious about that yeah yeah strange um but yeah it's it is like you said conrad it's it's not necessary as a game it's a guess i like Playing that dynamic again, there isn't again quite like Dead Space in terms of its combat and uh, the necromorphs as an enemy has always fascinated me, and I like the world building. Uh, I like the Dead Space universe, but I am offended by its existence <laughs> uh, to a significant degree. So, have we all also played Hi-Fi Rush this week? Uh, yes. We have. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited to talk about this game. I love this video game. Yeah. Here's like the 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 big takeaway. I like if I was gonna summarize my feelings on Hi-Fi Rush in one sentence, it would be this: An hour into playing that game, I went on Twitter and tweeted, "I know I'm only an hour in, but I'd be surprised if this doesn't end up on my game of the year list this year." And I've now completed the the story mode and the post game and started replaying on hard. And I still maintain that sentiment. Wow. I think I will I will be surprised if this is not one of my favourite games of the year. I absolutely fucking love this video game. That's amazing. That's not my experience, uh, but that's partly because of the accessibility issues uh, that I, I mentioned wanting to talk about. Yeah. I can tell it's very good. It does surprise me to hear that, that, that you loved it that much, but uh, I'm thrilled that you do. Yeah. Yeah, I really didn't think... I would love it as much as I did. And mm -hmm. I it has its problems. It has its flaws. It is 
unashamedly like very turned up to 11 uh nonsense it is very high energy it is i I have some little quibbles about certain bits um i'm a little annoyed that the final boss fight of the game no spoilers one phase of it kind of doesn't follow the rules established by the rest of the game in a way that caused me to have a couple of times where I, i i had to restart that fight to work out oh that doesn't behave the way that the game has taught me to expect it to, which like was a little irritating, but I absolutely loved it. I had a great time. Cool. I I am not that far in. Um, I just started playing it um, yesterday, and I think I'm on the third, fourth mission, something like that. Hmm. And I really enjoy it for the most part. Um, when you say it's turned up to 11, the main character is exactly the type of anime stereotype character that I hate. <laughs> like, yeah. like the one I hate the most. <laughs> the one where I was, the reason Trigun is one of my favorite anime is that they tried to tell me he was this guy, but he's not that guy. He's really not that guy. That guy's awful, and he knows that guy's awful. And I I hate him. I hate Chai so much, and I find him insufferable. Yeah. But I love 808. Yeah. I love, I love that 808 is named 808. Yeah. I find Peppermint to be pretty entertaining. Yeah. I loved Rekka. Oh yeah, Rekka. Mm. Oh, that delicious. Uh, I was yeah. thinking of Steph the whole way through every interaction. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a, a screen accurate representation of my own body as the design of Rekka. <laughs> uh, I do. I do think that I look exactly like her. Yeah, and that is that is accurate. Yeah. So there are there are places where it being turned up to eleven, I do feel really works in its favor and is very enjoyable. I agree with you that like Chai as a main character is the least interesting part of this game by an absolute mile. I wish literally any other character in this video game was the main character because like you've got all these very exaggerated interesting personalities and then you've got very exaggerated I am just an anime protagonist. Yes. And he's the one you're going to spend the most time with, which is, uh, you know, the most frustrating aspect of that, because everybody else is so interesting, and he's... Mm. Yeah. I do not disagree with you on that. Yeah. The core gameplay loop and the visual and audio design was enough to completely... I was able to look right past that, because I could not enjoy the gameplay of this more than I am doing. (laughs) I absolutely agree with you. I was deeply concerned about whether or not I would enjoy this um, from the outset, because the idea of a rhythm-matching game using, you know, I mean, let's just say Devil May Cry as as the template is a bit intimidating. And this is not, I think, I'm sure I've played other games that have attempted this and fared relatively poorly at making it feel fun or at least interesting to me. And I did still um, struggle with this up until the introduction of the zipline. Yes. And that's the point, I think, where the combat system really comes into its own. Mm. The timing aspect of it 
is not nearly as challenging as I thought it would be, but it is still very deliberate. Yeah. The thing I would say to anyone who's not played this is, like, I know some people have been scared off trying it because music rhythm sounds intimidating. I, I, you know, maybe maybe you personally are like, I'm going to struggle to reliably hit things on the beat. This game goes out of its way to make hitting on the beat, at least on normal difficulty, not a prerequisite to success. Well, and it's and it's it gives you so many tools to help you find the beat if you're off of it. Yes. Everything in the environment pulses to the beat. So you're seeing all of these visual indications just in your periphery of it. Everything in the game happens to the rhythm of the music, which is very, very interesting environmentally and uh, just a cool thing to be around. Um, But the way that it applies in combat is also really interesting because everything you know is moving to the rhythm of that beat. You know, when attacks are coming in, you know, all of that, and it's all sort of there. But then you have 808 right there next to you, and that is a very, like, distinct, clear indicator that as it pulses to that beat that you can always find it. And then if you optionally need more, you hit select, and there's a bar that appears on the bottom, like in a rhythm game, that shows you exactly where the beat is hitting. So it has all of these, and then on top of that, the combo system... And the movement is tied to the beat. So Mm. even if you start your attack off beat, your your first hit is off beat, if you strike again when it hits, you're immediately on beat again. That's the one that really made the game click for me, was if I press the attack button and I'm not pressing it on the beat, the attack will still hit on the beat. So as long as I watch for when that attack hits, and that's when I press the button for the next one, I will be attacking on the beat. Yep. It, it's a really subtle way of essentially doing like the closing circles hit them when like the guitar hero hit the circle when it hits the other circle. Which it also does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's like it's that built into the combat so that the combat itself is showing you where the beat is. Like so many aspects of this game's design around like giving you reminders to help you see where that beat is are really appreciated. Now, while we're on that subject. Mm-hmm. Mm. I would now like to explain why everything you've just described is horrible for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. As a result of my unique sort of blend of neurodivergencies, I cannot handle what this game is doing. Oh, yeah. The Everything on screen is moving to the beat. Mm. Enemies are moving in time to the beat. You are moving in time to the beat. Your attacks are done in time to the beat. Now... I like rhythm games. Hmm. I like I, I can do rhythm games pretty well, like like tricky ones. But I can't do a rhythm game hybrid. Uh I tried playing uh, bullets per minute at one point, the first person shooter that was also uh very similar to this, uh, attacking with rhythm. I can't switch my attention. I can't concentrate on multiple things at once when it comes to rhythm Mm. i can't play the piano i can't make my hands do two different things so where this is a problem for me is the more i the more the game does to make it easy the harder it gets for me 
Hmm. Because I don't know what to look at, hmm. and I don't know what I can. F- I, I I don't know how to focus on it with so much moving and so much happening, and with a mind like mine that needs to isolate and focus on one string of information. Because if more information comes at once, I get distressed and confused. I really struggle with this game because my attention is drawn everywhere. I am struggling to balance keeping a sense of the rhythm and dodging and attacking enemies, which was my big problem with BPM. I found that the best way for me to uh, keep a rhythm was to ignore a lot of what was being done to help, look directly at Chai, and just time my attacks after every swing. He swings, I hit the button to attack again, I hit the beat just right. But if I'm doing that, I can't see all of the things attacking me. So I can, I've, I've reached a point where I can hit the beats, but I can't dodge anything. And I can't handle the amount of sort of all the green spaces on the floor telling me what direction an attack's going to come in and from where. Because I can't keep the beat of the enemy, the rhythm of of the enemy attack in my head, because I'm focusing on the rhythm of my attacks. And that's my my issue. And I really appreciate what the game's doing. I really appreciate that you can bring up a rhythm timer to help. It doesn't necessarily help me. But I appreciate it's there. I appreciate that the... I I really like the visual effect of everything moving to the rhythm. If this game wasn't a rhythm game, it just moved to the rhythm, I'd fucking love it. I like it when the little Goombas jump in New Super Mario Brothers to the uh, music. Um, I love that shit. But as an intrinsic part of the gameplay, I can't do it. And unfortunately, I, I was hoping the accessibility options would help, but they don't. There's only a couple of them when it comes to the actual combat. There's like two Hmm. that help with... with, There's one that helps with the quick time events and one that helps with what I thought would help me, which was auto-commands. The game will select what combos to do so I don't have to worry about different like button sequences. And it says it handles dodging and all of that. You surrender some control. You can't pick what combos you're going to do, but that's fine. You know, it's all effective. The problem with that is it changes how forgiving the game is because those attacks and dodges and all of that will now only work so long as you are keeping perfect rhythm, Mm. which actually makes it harder. I was failing to even move with that option on, whereas I could at least muddle through without that accessibility option on. And and plus, like, the dodging doesn't seem to even really trigger anyway. So the the whole one button tapping to do a lot of stuff just isn't helping. Um, But it was stunning to me that uh, an accessibility option actually made the game considerably less accessible to me. Uh, And it was presented as the option that was literally the answer to my issue. So that's been my experience with it. I love what this game is doing i appreciate it and i appreciate that for people who don't have a unique blend of um adhd and uh, ocd and probably a little bit of the autism thrown in as well like just 
the way my particular manifestation of those disabilities sort of coincide with each other and often contradict each other makes the game not impossible to play, but I'm struggling to enjoy it because it's it's so frustrating. That is entirely understandable, and I can't promise this will help, but the only remaining idea I have that might help is rather than going into the gameplay or accessibility settings menus, is going into the sound options and tweaking the balance of the sliders, uh, so that rather than having the audio beat be mixed in with a lot of other sound effects, have it so that the, the beat of the music is a lot higher priority in the sound mix, mm-hmm. and seeing whether having only one sound cue and it is the sound that you are following makes it any easier, but I recognise that that doesn't do what it sounds like would be really helpful for you, which is having an accessibility option to turn off some of the visual cues and to go, I would appreciate fewer things to focus on. Yeah, or or make that, that accessibility option I mentioned behave how I thought it would. <laughs> yeah. Like, just something to take some of the mental workload off. Yeah. Like, I can't even handle someone, like, giving me two directions at once, two, like, like in a conversation. Uh, it's a real struggle for me. And this is why I really appreciated, we talked about the game Melatonin, uh, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. I really appreciated what that game did in terms of, like, here is... You can put on screen a single visualizer that is always consistent and in the same place and doing the same thing, and a loud metronome that is always just kind of going and leading the beat. That is a thing that this game lacks. An ability to have just a clear, here is a clear sound and one clear visual indicator and you can just, everything else you're allowed to not pay attention to, just pay attention to those and you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Like, this doesn't have that, that option for, here is the one thing that will tell you everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I I totally understand why people love it. Yeah. I'm usually in the camp that you are on on this genre. Like I've tried playing your sort of like bullets per minute and things like that. None of the first person shooter music rhythm ones have ever clicked for me. I've always really struggled with them. I think to a certain degree because that is a genre I don't have mechanical competency with. And I'm having to think and put a lot of effort into making my hands do what I want them to with, say, first-person shooters, which means I can't naturally react and be like, I'm thinking about the beat, but I'm naturally doing the gameplay that I'm already good at. Yeah. This is a genre of game that I have put a lot of time into already and can sort of background a bit of that mental work while paying attention to the beat instead. Yeah. I understand I'm going to be a minority on this. Like, yeah, just because this isn't this isn't even a taste thing. This is a motor function, executive function thing. So sometimes that happens. Like I, I, I feel as I said, B- BPM is a great example of one of those where I'm like, I can see it's a great game. I physically cannot play it past the first level. It is what it is. I don't play a lot of real time strategy games for the same reason. The jump sucks. I hate the jump. I fuck the platforming. Yeah. That's my one actual sort of criticism of the game itself. It's so vertical. Yes, it's way too vertical and too springy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You have no forward momentum. That's entirely reliant on your dash, which works fine enough in air. Okay. So the 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 thing that like um made the platforming click a lot better for me was realizing rather than trying to go jump, jump, dash, uh was 
jump dash jump because if you split your double jump to other uh, opposing sides of the dash you can use the second jump to course correct your landing and that instantly made it feel like it, it got rid of what is you know kind of janky jump <laughs> yeah it, you know i mean i don't like the platformy but i also kind of would just like a functional jump that you know like that i could use in combat mm-hmm. i think i think i can use it fine in combat it's just unpleasant for me yeah like it, it doesn't feel good at all it's clicked with me over time but i i like i will acknowledge that my first impression was Gravity turns off when I'm jumping up, and the second I reach my apex, it turns on at like strength and a half to plummet me back down. But on the whole, very good game. I'm enjoying it. I've played the whole thing through, and the difficult post-game stuff, and now I'm playing it through on. I'm playing through all the levels on hard mode. I I'm never this good at games like this. I've been getting S. I've been getting like S ranks on hard mode levels. And I'm enjoying feeling competent with this one. I don't know why this, how this one has clicked for me, but I'm having my moment of being a good gamer for a second and being like, hell yeah. Hey, enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, what else have we played? Uh, Steph, did you want to talk some more about Forspoken now that you are <sighs> further in? Yeah. Yeah, and I'll get it out of the way because I've, I've got to talk to um, uh, an immunology doctor in about 20 minutes. Uh, so yeah, I've played a lot and a lot mm. and a lot more Forspoken since we last Forspoke about it, and I am fucking sick of it, and I am so tired of it. And um, like I said earlier, I published my review. It's up on thegymquisition.com, and for all the talk about the dialogue, yeah, and, and how cringe that is, or whatever. That's not what exhausted me. It was just how open world TM this game is. Mm. This game should have been linear. It, never mind it being smaller. Like, it is far, far, far too big for what it is. Yes. But you could have had all the parkour and the combat and all of that shit. And if you'd have tightened it to the point of linearity, it would have actually had some semblance of a sense of pacing, which it doesn't have. It it's got no sense of actual like like directorial input whatsoever. In in every element, in terms of combat progression and the rate at which you unlock new skills, like new skill trees, uh, in terms of the narrative, the amount of lengthy downtime um as compared to the moments where the story builds. It it's so up and down. Yeah. Mechanically, narratively, tonally. It's the combat is a fucking mess, like I talked about last week. It does get a bit better the more powerful you get, but how quickly you get to that point depends on how well the game was at sucking you into its awful gameplay loop. And it's awful. I was led, because the game constantly tells you if you go to a new chapter, are you sure this will move things on? Are you sure you want to miss out on content? Uh, so I thought it was important. And I found out way too late after hours and hours of it that most of this stuff is bullshit. It's not even rewarding because the loot in this game is mostly crafting materials. And let me tell you, there ain't nothing less thrilling than working your way to a treasure chest, opening it up and finding grass inside. Grass. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Fucking grass. Like... And that's what it's like throughout. Uh, Even the more important stuff, like unlocking new cloaks and necklaces, once you find a set that look nice, 
You can sort of customise it to your heart's content and upgrade it away. Um, you don't even need to go off the beaten path. I think the way this game is set up is a complete design fuck-up. I think it is a complete fuck-up. As evidenced by the fact that they clearly couldn't think of anything to justify all of that exploration except fucking crafting materials and the the mana currency that is already freely given elsewhere. It's the world that this game takes place in is such a vast open empty sprawl with a handful of regurgitated busy work tasks strewn across it, none of which, or very few of which, offer a reward worth going there for. And after spending literal days playing this game and making no narrative progress, or, or even much progress in terms of gear, loot, character development, I was exhausted. And my advice to anyone playing it is, don't get sidetracked. Go and do that story mm. and get those powers so that you don't spend 10 hours playing it and the third person shooter you were playing is suddenly a hack and slash that requires, like, completely changes the uh, flow of combat um, and takes a whole mess of adjusting to. By the time I was at the second boss, I'd done so much of the pointless side corn that I felt compelled to play because of the aforementioned OCD. If you give me a map mm. full of shit to do, I'm going to feel compelled to do it and not compelled in the uh, positive sense. I'd done so much of that compulsively that the narrative gameplay is now a joke. A joke. And unlike something like Cyberpunk, where I really felt like I earned my way to that sense of power and then turned it on the game, there was no returning on it because I walked right into the bosses and they were trivial. I didn't really feel like I overcame anything. And even worse, to get to the point where I trivialized them, I had to be bored a lot and exhausted to the point where I feel like I've traded what could have been interesting boss battles, I'll never know, for utter tedium. This should have been linear. It should have been. It would have solved so many problems, and I think a decade or so ago it would have been, but it can't be now. My feelings on this game are so all over the place, in that I fundamentally feel like the movement of the parkour system feels great when it's working well. And I think that I can understand if you have a movement system that feels that good, feeling like you need to have an open world to justify that. But I also agree with you that I think this game would perhaps have been better with more linearity and just being a bit more focused. At the very least, a smaller Zelda-esque overworld rather than an open world, you know? Mm. It's a game that feels like it was built from a marketable list of bullet points upward. Mm. Like, it has a lot of things that on paper I understand how they got there, but when you put them all together just don't quite click. Yeah. That carries into combat. Yeah. Individually, this all works. You put it together, it's a car crash. There's a lot of elements of it that I don't dislike the element by itself, but I dislike it 
when placed alongside all of the things that surround it. Yeah. Yeah. Like the you mentioned the dialogue. I don't think I don't think the dialogue's that bad in the end. I think that like it gets better as it goes and ultimately like with time it becomes clear what they're going for and they do a better job of consistently delivering the thing they're trying to do with that dialogue. Yeah, it, it the thing the thing that got me is how how stop start the pacing of this game is. Yes. From your first two and a half hours of I'm in cutscenes and walking down linear roads to finally open world. Okay, well, there's not really anything to do in here. I'm going to run around looking for busy work. Okay, I got back to, I guess, linearness for, for a minute. Okay, I'm kind of enjoying... Okay, oh, nope, we're back in the big open space. None of its pieces feel like they fit together because it's not a problem for a game to swap back and forth between different ideas and genres and pacings. No. But this game makes that difference really stark. Yeah. It's very obvious when the game is just, now it's time to completely put that aside and be something else for a bit. Yeah. When you're 30 hours into the game and it forces you, you pick up an item and it forces you onto a lore page for it. Yeah. Takes you out of the game and, and makes reading this lore, or at least, you know, opening the lore mandatory. And it's for a nugget a crafting material I'd been picking up for the past 30 hours, but suddenly this one nugget needed lore um, explaining what nuggets were. Like, it's one of the sillier examples, but it's indicative of how this game has no sense of timing and appropriate pacing. Also, I will say, I, I really appreciate the auto-dodging. Yes. The developers were so aware that their combat was an audio-visual fucking mess where enemies are attacking from off-screen constantly that they didn't even make it an accessibility option. It's in the basic settings. <laughs> turn, this up, turn this on if you can't be bothered to exhibit near prescience. Um, and it really highlights exactly how overly aggressive the enemies are. Um, I don't know if you've felt this, Laura, but like sometimes you're trying to pull off a skill and you're hammering the skill button, but you're not performing it because you yep, keep getting yep, interrupted because yep, 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 yep. <laughs> the game is yep. more interested in showing off its uh, parkour dodge animations. Mm -hmm. So most of combat is just dodge, 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 try and perform a move. Nope. Another attack's come in time to dodge. Yeah. I No, I had that, that setting on for most of my time playing. And yeah, sure, it makes it so that nothing but like occasional un, unavoidable like attacks that like can't be evaded. It like literally everything else can't touch you. But like I had a better I had a better time yeah. letting the game flip around do cool shit for me. And like, okay, you're done, cool, I'll do some attacks. Yeah. Like I I felt bottlenecked into it once I unlocked the um uh, Silas spells and, and had the hack and slash option because going up close to some of these enemies who can perform close range um, unskippable attacks within a second like it's it's just a lot and and I hate how you build up like her big ultimate surge attacks and if you're interrupted pulling those off either to dodge or to take a hit like you automatically lose that attack it doesn't pull off so like I clear a space, I pull both triggers to perform this massive screen-clearing attack, but no, a zombie tried to hit me from behind, so that's gone. Fuck you. It's so annoying. It does make one skill utterly useless, which is the one where you kick an enemy, set them on fire, and boot them into other enemies to explode them, mm. because it's got a slightly longer animation than the other attacks, and is also really specific. 
You really need to be aimed right at an enemy to pull it off. So I'm there hammering, 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 trying to pull it off and getting interrupted to dodge constantly. So by the time I finally hit it, she's facing away from the enemies and just kicks nothing. And there's a couple of uh, attacks like that. Anything that is up close, uh, anything that has a slightly longer um, animation to pull off, uh, no joy. No joy. Mm. What a frustrating system. Even with auto-dodging, it's frustrating just from the point of, I am hammering this button. I just want to make my little plant turret appear. There are moments in that game that I enjoy enough that I wish I was enjoying more of the game. Yeah. It was like, it, it's a game that I came into wanting to enjoy, and I keep seeing little glimpses that make me go, if I just keep going a little longer, maybe this will be where we get over the hurdle and it'll sort of come into its own. And I've not really found that point that I keep hoping is just out of reach. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I like indi- individual elements. I like phrase attacks. Yeah. I like the the variety, the sheer number of, of um, support spells and the fact that every projectile or, or melee attack has three distinct forms yeah. um, that change their behavior when you charge the attacks. I love that. But it doesn't play well with the uh, other parts, which I also like on their own. I like the um, MMO-style cooldown attacks, but I don't like that my choices are either keep pausing the game to select them, or just mindlessly press a button to keep firing them off. Right. I I wish there was just a D-pad button or something I could tap to cycle to the next one of those three. Because you can cycle between your movesets with, uh, I think it's left and right on the D-pad. Yeah. I wish maybe up on the D-pad could be cycle between attacks on that set. Yeah, like it would be be the best middle ground it could come up with. Mm. But I I respect the the sort of attempt to blend this faster-paced shooting and -and hack-and-slash action with uh, more of a, a Bioware or mmo light style command system. Uh, I don't even mind. I like visual, audio-visual chaos in a combat system, but not when it punishes you for not being omnipotent um, and, and fills the screen so much you can't see attacks coming and features so many enemies aggressively covering each other's offensive gaps that you are spending more time dodging than doing literally anything else. And and I don't mind the dodging and, and the flow of the combat when it actually flows. Every individual element is well made, but the execution of it all together is a fucking disaster. It's a shame. Yeah. Uh, now, I know I've talked a lot and sort of front-loaded my opinions, but that is because I have to shoot off. Nice. So if I may just say goodbye now and um, depart, and leave the podcast in in your uh, lovely effervescent hands. No worries. I'll just quickly uh, throw out some promotion. Uh, Just basically just let everyone know that if you can get to Manchester this Sunday night, February 5th, it is uh, the Sovereign Pro Wrestling show that I am super excited about. Uh, Commander Sterling versus Shreddy. This match means the world to me because it is... Shreddy is someone who's been held up as someone I'm not good enough to be on the same show as. Not by Shreddy. Uh, in fact, I really appreciate that he's been so eager to fight me and treat me like a, a valid peer, you know? So that's kind of what's going into that match for me, is this is a match that makes me feel like I've truly made it. So that's Manchester Sunday, uh, February 5th, Sovereign Pro Wrestling. You can check them out on social media, uh, at Sov Pro. 
yeah, uh, that that's sort of the main thing I, I just wanted to get out there before I leave. That night is going to be amazing. It's going to be just a milestone. But thank you. Lovely time chatting with you both. Yes, it's always. Been a lovely one. Moment of truth. I'm going to find out if I can eat peanuts. You, you, go, you go away, and we'll talk about how terrible video games are as a business. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, we've got plenty of that coming up, haven't we? Oh, yeah. yeah. I shall leave that in your hands. Uh, lovely chatting to you. I will see you both next week, uh, as I will the listeners. Thank you all so much. Bye. Right. You know, if we if we ever looked at the metrics for this podcast, this would be the moment where it precipitously drops. I look, I don't <laughs> want to know that information. I look, I want to live in my delusional world where like this moment happens and there's a spike in numbers. I want to believe that I am like in some way important and relevant. I don't want to know. I don't want to know the crash I'm going to cause. I I accept my role. Uh. <laughs> so, let's talk about some news. Let's do it. Yeah. So just a little update here. We've been talking the last couple of weeks about uh, proposed strike action from a bunch of Ubisoft Paris uh, development uh, level workers. Uh, that strike did go ahead. Um, around 40 Ubisoft staff quit work. They they uh, went and held a meeting in the company cafeteria where they discussed things like the current troubled state of Ubisoft as a company, the pressures of crunch, as well as plans for future strike action, which is good to hear. I always appreciate a strike being used to plan the next strike until, you know, stuff keeps moving. 40 people may not sound like uh, a huge number. That is around 15% of the studio's workforce. That is about one in every eight workers, which is pretty good. That is like, that is not an unnoticeable strike. I mean, you know, Going into something like this in double-digit percentages is not bad. Yeah. And again, for for a first one, you know, hopefully momentum rolls from there, so... Uh, yep, good for them. Uh, as one of the staff who was there said, this strike has helped us build the next strikes to come. If Ubisoft management doesn't want to hear from us, uh, they might understand that it's the workers who decide when games are released. I'm um, like, yep, no, if you, if you want to withhold your labour to get them to the table to hear your concerns... More power to you. I wish you luck. Yep, absolutely. Indeed. Oh, Conrad, are you aware of uh, are you aware of the bullshit around the Last of Us TV show is successful, therefore we're not a monopoly? Have you been paying attention to this this week? No, I I haven't. I wouldn't say that I've been deliberately avoiding Last of Us stuff because I haven't started watching the show yet, and I kind of like to watch the show as yeah. sort of free from the burdens of the rest of the culture. But I did read this headline. Yeah, so I'll I'll give you the, the summary here, and you don't need to know anything about The Last of Us TV show. Sure. The Last of Us has done nothing to warrant being in this, so... Microsoft and Xbox have been, like, trying for a while to argue that... that it's definitely not a monopoly if they buy Activision Blizzard King, and even if it was a monopoly, like, Sony's big, they're great, everything's going great for them, so, like, it wouldn't even hurt them if we made a monopoly. Uh, the latest example of this is a honestly kind of pretty childish uh, Twitter thread from Activision Blizzard's chief communications officer, Lulu Chang, who tweeted at the FTC after, I think it was after episode two of The Last of Us aired on HBO, basically saying, The Last of Us TV show is breaking records, it's a blockbuster, everyone's watching it. 
therefore, Sony's doing so well, you should let us have Activision. <laughs> I just... Um, <laughs> I love this praising the rival shit that they're doing. Oh, yeah. Like, it's it's so entertaining to witness, and it feels desperate and cloying, which is also really satisfying from my perspective. It It's hilarious how you would never, under any other circumstances, hear a corporation give praise for their competition's product until such time as they need to appear weak. It's amazing. Indeed. I'm going to read you some of this tweet thread because if you've not read the tweet thread itself, it's um it's ambitious um to cuz like to do this like with the FTC tw- like tagged in on Twitter, like this is some blatant attempt to like sway them in a public public space. The Last of Us TV show is based on a best-selling video game developed by a Sony-owned studio and published by Sony as a PlayStation exclusive. The FTC has opposed the Microsoft-Activision Blizzard deal on the grounds that Microsoft could suppress competition from rival consoles by leveraging Activision games. It sounds like there's some worry that Sony's position as a market leader could be jeopardised by this deal. But there's no cause for concern. Sony has an unrivaled war chest of IP, not just in gaming, but TV, movies, and music, which can be developed into games or can market existing games. It's no wonder they continue to dominate as the market leader for consoles. In gaming, Sony is the first of us, and will be fine without the FTC's protection. Uh, said, Said the company that has been on a spree of acquisitions to build an IP war chest. Yeah. Like, there are two very obvious things wrong with this. Um, first of all is them trying to argue that, like, oh, the FTC's opposed the deal because Microsoft could suppress competition from rival consoles by leveraging Activision games. Yeah, they could. Changes nothing there. Yeah, it doesn't change anything. And secondly, Sony... I mean, look, they acquired Naughty Dog, like, decades ago, but, like, they didn't go... The Last of Us is the biggest thing in the world right now, so we're going to buy the studio that makes The Last of Us and take it away from being a multi-platform game so that we can capitalize on it for Sony. No, they were a second-party studio that was, you know, developing, and then they finally just bit the bullet and bought them. Yeah, exactly. They already had a good working relationship, and Sony was like, we'll give you the money to sit and spend ages making a big-budget thing that you want to make, and we'll, we'll help you do that. That's very different from... We want to take games that everyone has access to and just buy them so that they're ours now. Yep. Like, go make your own Last of Us. You, you Go do that, Microsoft. Go make your own thing that can be made into a show. But, uh, you know, if you look historically at Microsoft, they, they have had a few very successful franchises. Yeah. But those franchises have not been successful in quite some time. You know, Gears of War was, to my own shock and amazement, enormous. Uh, Halo was enormous. But these are not, I mean, I know a lot of people still play Halo and are very into it. And I'm not, you know, but it's not what it used to be in terms of a dominator in the landscape. I mean, look, it's easy to forget. I think about a year ago, we got a Halo TV show. Yeah. That no one watched and no one gave a shit about. And it's not... Like, Sony's not got a very successful TV show here 
because they happen to have a successful IP. It's like, yeah, it's not just we have an IP that people know and recognize, therefore it's easy to make a TV show. You tried and failed in that arena because you like don't don't get don't get upset at Sony for having success in TV. You did try to beat them to the punch on that and just didn't succeed. Yeah, it's uh, wow, it's a thing to behold. I'm really enjoying watching all of these people I don't like fight. It sure is something. Other news we have this week: we've known for a little while that E3 is looking to come back as a physical show this year. Mm -hmm. We know some stuff about this in that, like, it got bought out by a company called Read Pop, who handle a bunch of stuff like um, Comic-Con here in the UK, some local games conventions and things like that. Well, they run Penny Arcade Expo now, don't they? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I believe so. Um, they run a lot of, like, fan enthusiast aimed big convention sort of things. And there'd been a lot of curiosity about, like, what is this going to look like as an event that maybe press will be at like what how how well will e3 bounce back and if a report uh from ign is to be believed it's going to be rough for him uh so ign claims that nintendo microsoft and sony are all skipping having a physical presence at this year's e3 uh, i mean that that's it's that's bleak. It's yeah, it's not a good sign for E3's return if not 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 one of them went, yeah, sure, we'll have some booth space. That is a wing of the show, mm. basically, is what you're talking about here. Like they could shut down one of the convention halls and occupy it in one space because those three would always have such enormous you know, square footage that they would occupy. Now, I know Sony's been gone for... Is it Sony's been gone for a while, or is it Microsoft? One of those two's uh, been... So, Sony's been gone for a while. Sony's been gone for a while, um, and they always did have a, like, monster booth. Yes. But uh, Nintendo always, always took up huge space, and Microsoft did as well, although Nintendo's... <laughs> Their booth size was always just ridiculously large. The thing that I think is notable is that this is an event that they're going to be trying to sell tickets to the public to, and I think, I don't think it can be overstated how big of a deal it is going to be for them trying to sell tickets if none of those three have a presence, because E3 week rolls around and like, look, let's, you know, they're all doing their own live streamed, you know, Nintendo Direct, State of Play, whatever it is they're doing to announce their games. People that week showing up to E3, the thing that they're probably, like, 90% of those people are going to be like, I can't wait to play Thing I Just Saw in the Nintendo Direct. I can't wait to try Thing I Just Saw in State of Play. Like, it really takes the wind out of their sails. And my question, like, pondering out to the world is, have these three companies already agreed to be present at Jeff Keighley's uh, naughty three that he's planning to put on at a similar time. Mm, I doubt that. I kind of doubt that. I I don't know, but it's it's a question I want to know the answer to. I'm curious about it. I think they are all in a position, and and in one that I would largely agree with, that they don't have to kowtow to anybody. They don't have to share the stage with anybody. Yeah, I think they're perfectly happy to participate to the extent of. 
you know, doing reveal stuff uh, that's, you know, third parties. Um, and we will probably see a lot of that. But I, I'd i be flummoxed if all three signed on with Keeley for some sort of exclusivity thing there. Hmm. That would blow my mind. I would not be surprised if someone comes to the table there and participates. But it seems like they could all just sort of do their own thing in the surrounding area at the time and be all right. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I don't disagree with you that they could. It's mainly a question of like, will any of them try and capitalize on somewhere to be, to have members of the public, do you want to try this? Well, and they may, well, Sony's going to be, I think Microsoft has said they're doing events in the area. Uh, I believe Sony will be doing also. I haven't heard about Nintendo doing things, but I, I get the impression that there will be stuff for the public to go do in that area, possibly, that isn't at E3. Yeah, it's one of those things where I, I think that these companies really have learned the lesson in the last few years that they can survive just fine without paying a bunch of money to the ESA. Yeah. By the same token, I think that there could also be an opportunity for them in terms of uh, perhaps they could f be financing small booths for third-party developers to show it at E3. Yeah. That's a significantly lower expense. Um, they could just, you know, and then it's not them being there and they can still have their own big event with all of their first party shit and, you know, whatever they want yeah. while still having some representation, some opportunity for the public to see it. I will be very interested to see what comes of this E3. I think that it is a bit late in the game for 2023 to have to make a pivot to not having any of them and having a truly successful show. But I would be interested also to see what this would mean for 2024 E3, um, because I think then there's an opportunity for them to take the show in a different direction, and there might be interest in that. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. If this is the case, I'm very curious to see how E3 is going to try and market this year. Like, how they try and pitch this as a desirable thing to go to without those companies. I, I think they will not address it. I, I, I really think that they're going to talk about everyone they do get there. Yeah. Um, as much as possible and sort of not say anything about how none of the three major console manufacturers are there. Mm. I'll be interested to see if in, in television as the Amico there. No, I think they're finally, I think they're finally done. Yeah. That's finally over. The only other thing, really, we had this week uh, to talk about was there is a report that is doing the rounds, and I'll preface this with Sony does deny this, but mm -hmm. there's a report doing the rounds that Sony has quite considerably reduced production of PlayStation VR 2 headsets coming up to that, that hardware launching in a couple of weeks. Bloomberg uh, has reported that the number being produced uh, and shipped uh, between now and March of next year has been reduced from 1.5 million down to 1 million, which, you know, S Sony has said we have not cut PlayStation 2 VR 2 production numbers. Uh, you know, I mean, and, and that might be true. Yeah. Maybe they haven't adjusted production numbers. They're just going to have a surplus. Yes. We're just going to ship fewer of them and have some of them sit in a warehouse for a bit. Both things can be true. Yes. I would not be surprised if 
this story was true. There's a lot of factors that make me willing to believe that it's the case. Oh, absolutely. I can't buy eggs. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a big one. Right? Like, the the economic situation right now is so ridiculously out of step with asking customers to pay $550 for a face mask. $550 on top of the price of a PS5 without any games included in that, without any support for your existing library of PSVR games. That is a rough pop proposition, particularly when you look at the launch lineup, which, like, a lot of a lot of really big, basic, expected mainstream VR titles are just missing at launch. Stuff like Beat Saber. It's gonna sound a little silly, but like, I really think you can't launch. Like, Beat Saber is an example of the kind of game you can't launch uh, a new VR headset with that doesn't have backwards compatibility and not have it have what for many people is the face of VR games. Like, there's a lot of games where it's like, oh, yeah, if you own this for PSVR, you can play it on PSVR 2 if you pay to upgrade to the new version of that game you already have. There's not really any, like, killer apps on day one that aren't available already on more affordable VR headsets. It's it's a rough ask. Yeah, and... Far be it for me, as the person who has probably been the most skeptical of VR mm. out of the three of us, to be disappointed by this outcome. And, you know, and not, my disappointment doesn't start now. You know, this is falling well in line with my expectations. My disappointment began when they announced what they were going to be doing with this hardware. Mm. Um, because I, I have long maintained that I thought, if somebody had the opportunity to make VR work and be accessible and affordable, it was Sony and the VR and the PlayStation VR system. I thought that, you know, while it was still far outside of my grasp of interest, mm. uh, the value proposition that they were trying to offer with PlayStation VR seemed more reasonable. Yeah, I, I think a big part of that is where things were in the VR space at the time that PSVR released and where we're at now. Yeah. And how much Sony really needed to adjust their expectations of the overall space. Because, like, the short version is, when PSVR released, PS4s were already in a lot of people's gaming setups and had been for a few years. It was yes. late enough into that system's lifespan. But also, it was at a point where... To have a PC that could run VR games was kind of prohibitively expensive, and a PS4 was probably your cheapest option to get hardware that would run VR games. And secondly, all of the headsets that really existed at its comparable quality level were much more expensive, and at like $400, it was the cheapest headset for a, a, a computing machine you already have. Yeah. Whereas, like, now, not only is this you know, $150 more than the last one was, you're releasing it into a world that, like, frankly, you're releasing it into a world where the Quest headset exists, where a standalone VR headset that will play all of the, like, like, 99% of the popular VR games you've heard of will play on this thing that doesn't need to be plugged in, that costs less. Like, the computing power is inside of it, and it costs less than the PSVR 2. And for most people, that's good enough. Yeah. I mean... I would probably never buy a meta product. 
just on principle. Yeah. But that's the it, it it was the PlayStation brand for it that I felt carried so much opportunity and weight. Yeah. Right? Like Oculus Yes, people in the PC space understood Oculus, right? Yeah. And yes, people in the larger world understand, well, they understood Facebook. I'm not sure anybody quite fucking gets meta. Um, that was still mm. a choice that they made to really uh, go all in on this, and they are paying for it now. But the the brand of PlayStation and its association with VR presented such opportunity i thought for adoption mm. that the the price point and the circumstances around it gave them truly the best opportunity and i don't know what it is that compelled them to race this quickly to market on another vr headset because they had such production and distribution difficulty getting the ps5 into homes already up to this point that it it feels like they just had a a timing miscalculation regarding when to launch this product. Yeah. Or it sees a massive price cut in a year. I don't know. I mean, it's not impossible for them to recover from this to some extent, but it's brutal. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a tricky one. Um, and look, I'm probably the biggest proponent of VR on this podcast. Absolutely. If I get one for work for coverage purposes, great. I do not see myself going out and buying one. Yeah. I can't see a niche that isn't being served already that justifies spending this much on this headset. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Uh so yeah, should we should we wrap up there for this week? I think that sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Well, comrade, where whereabouts are you on the internet? Where can people find you? Oh, well, you can find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can uh, go listen to Red Planet, which is a podcast and streaming show that I produce all about building a better leftist future. It is really, really cool. We just had uh, Maya Crimeu, the uh, hacker who leaked the TSA 2019 no-fly list. Uh, fascinating, interesting conversation there. And uh, yeah, check me out on Twitch, twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman, and uh, you can support everything I do online at Patreon, patreon.com slash fistshark. What about you, Laura? I mean, you can find me at Laura K. Buzz pretty much everywhere. I've got that good unified branding. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, Patreon, wherever you, you know, that's the one that pays the bills, but I'm, I'm Laura K. Buzz most places that have usernames for things. Other than that... Who Hunts the Whale is real close to coming out. That book I wrote about the terrors of capitalism in the video game industry uh, that I wrote with my wife. It's coming out on February 16th. That's like two weeks away at the time that this releases. Go give that a look. I'm I'm real proud of that book and I really hope people check it out. So yeah, I, th I think that's us done. Well, yeah, and don't don't forget um, to go support Steph well, and yeah. the Jimquisition and this show and everything. And there's a new podcast you probably <gasps> yeah. noticed on the feed, the uh, Trash Girl Diaries, mm -hmm. which uh, I, I meant to ask Steph about on this show, and they left. Uh, but I, I'm pretty sure it's about merch and tat and junk that's video game related. That's the impression I'm getting from the uh, Strangers of Paradise baseball cap. 
image. I listened to a couple of sections of the podcast, uh, and that seems to be the general focus, but it also seems to uh, be pretty unfocused, and I can't imagine how that would happen. But it's going to, it's uh, Stephanie and um, Elsa, um, also known as Redneck Tonberry, who you may have heard on talking to women about video games in the past, doing that. It's what I've heard is pretty entertaining you should check that out but all of that stuff gets supported through the jimquisition patreon at patreon.com slash jimquisition um thank you all for listening and we will talk at you again next week bye bye